Wind turbines are a common piece of the Kansas landscape. Solar farms are growing in the state. But the push to wean the nation off fossil fuels is gaining steam with California banning sales of new gas-fueled vehicles in 2035. Another idea involves something called green hydrogen, so named because it would be produced with renewable energy. Here to outline the idea is Joe Spies, Chief Executive Officer of Wind So High, an Overland Park company. Welcome. Uh, hi, welcome. Welcome to you, Tim. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for being here. Let's begin with some of the most basic ideas of, of green hydrogen. Just begin with... Uh, you trying to explain what people like yourself are trying to solve uh, by working with hydrogen. Hydrogen has uh, the most potential of any energy source for ending the use of fossil fuels in a couple of categories. Um, most uh, obviously through providing fuel for vehicles and transportation. But there are also ways with the technology I've developed to use it as a critical component in generating electricity. The problem historically has been the, the price of hydrogen. But I've been working on hydrogen projects for 20 years. I know this subject. And the thing that I've known for the longest time, I've known for 20 years that we would reach this point in time where uh, climate change became so severe and such a drain on the economy where it's creating hundreds of billions of dollars a year in damages to infrastructure. Uh, climate change is killing 9 million people a year. We can't continue to use fossil fuels, so we have to get off. The good news is when you make hydrogen the right way, when you make green hydrogen with the best natural assets, it's actually far cheaper than any fossil fuel. And if you want, I'll explain the formula for how you calculate the price, because this is the main thing that people need to understand, and it involves the great wind resource in Kansas. Should I explain that to you? Uh, we can get to that. The there is enthusiasm for this idea of hydrogen. I think European countries are involved. Many years. Uh, President Joe Biden and Congress have invested billions of dollars to unlock the potential. Amazon, I think, is committed mm -hmm. to make use of hydrogen. Um, so, so let's just do a little bit more basic front-end work here and explain the science of hydrogen as an energy source. Okay. Um, hydrogen is the simplest molecule. It's also the most abundant molecule in the universe. And it's very simple to work with and manipulate. That's why it's going to be so easy to industrialize it, to use it for different purposes. Um, like any uh, pressurized gas, when you're uh, working with hydrogen, you have to be cautious with it. But it's actually safer than gasoline, for example. They've tried to hurt crash test dummies in vehicles when you uh, put hydrogen in a cylinder in a car that's run on fuel cells. Then they crash it and try and explode it. But it's such a light molecule that when the cylinder that it's stored in in a vehicle is punctured, the hydrogen just goes up and away immediately. It's not a heavy vapor like gasoline that tends to sit around a vehicle and can ignite and, and cause damage. So it's actually safer. And when you do it my way, using uh, wind power, it's actually very easy to produce in a hydrogen electrolyzer. 
which is the instrument used to make hydrogen. You simply run electricity into water, and then there are electrodes in that electrolyzer. You have an anode that works with the uh, oxygen. If you're talking about water and H2O, the mm -hmm. anode works with the water. The cathode works with the hydrogen. And uh, the oxygen goes to that electrode and the uh, hydrogen goes to its cathode. You can capture both and use them. That's it. It's you're, really a very you're splitting simple, the molecule there. Yeah, just right. the water, the hydrogen from the water, the oxygen. Yeah, and, to, and, and then water. you capture the, uh, the oxygen from which is the O and the H two O, and then you capture the hydrogen. Before we get to your company and the research you've been doing and and so forth, what what are the possible uses for for hydrogen transportation for engines? Uh, Heating, cooling, just kind of touch upon that, how, how a consumer listening to this might be connected to this issue. Sure. The goal will be to convert every vehicle in the country to run on hydrogen uh, because hydrogen fuel cells um, are really, really effective. They're far, far superior to batteries and mm. that with a battery, uh, you can go uh, a couple hundred miles and then you have to spend a lot of time to recharge the battery. They're much more expensive than hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. And with a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle, you, they'll go uh, 500 or 600 miles on, with one tank. And the experience of uh, fueling and refueling the car will be very similar to what we experience now in uh, ICE, internal combustion engine vehicles, where you have to get out, you put the pump in, put the, the fuel in. That's exactly what you do with hydrogen, too. With hydrogen... There will be a lock on the cap so, mm -hmm. because it's under pressure. Mm -hmm. And so you stick it in, turn the, the lock, and then you just let it go. It might take a minute or so longer than it takes to refill your car with gasoline. But it's, it's really very simple. The, Is this just help me visualize this? Uh, this hydrogen, is it in a liquid form or is it in a no, gas it, state? It's gaseous. Okay. There, there is some interest now. In looking at liquefied hydrogen for uh, 18 wheelers, for example, mm. that's going to get expensive because to liquefy hydrogen, you can do it, but it requires a lot of energy that adds cost to uh, uh, its natural gaseous state to liquefy it. And then you have to keep it really, really cold at about a minus 150 degrees. Whoa. If you don't, you get what is called boil off where just a little bit of warmth, as soon as you get above minus 150 degrees, that that hydrogen starts to go away. So um, you what can do that and you can power ships with it and you can power uh, trains with it and you can power large vehicles with it. But it's more expensive and the gaseous version is much, much, much simpler to make and manage in this process. So what about using this for cooking in homes or heating homes? That's going to be a bad idea. There, there are some people in the hydrogen industry who insist that it's okay. Um, ironically, there are uh, uh, kind of supporters coming from the fossil fuel industry, in particular the natural gas industry, who are lobbying for, hey, let's, let's try blending a certain amount of hydrogen in with natural gas. You know, it'll clean it up a little bit. And then uh, uh, all they're doing is really trying to prolong the use of natural gas. And 
As I said, hydrogen is such a small molecule. When you uh, put, if you were to put pure hydrogen in some of the regular pipelines that hold natural gas now, it would escape. Hmm. That hydrogen molecule will just leak right through the metal. And as a matter of fact, it has a, a corrosive uh, element that if you're not storing that hydrogen in expensive stainless steel or a carbon fiber cylinder, for example, in a vehicle, if you're just using ordinary metal pipes that are, that are using natural gas right now, mm -hmm. you will get a problem called embrittlement that will completely corrode away that metal. And then it becomes dangerous. So... Hmm. In so the only opinion, way to do it maybe would be to sleeve the natural gas pipes pipelines we have around. Would that? You, we're just going to have to get off of natural okay. gas. We're right. going to have to uh, electrify, and that means so transfer the technology I developed. Seems yeah. like a plausible and heating, in heating, in general, heating energy. your home. Yeah. Questionable. What about use in big industry, steel industry, the cement industries? Right. Those industries use gigantic amounts of hydrogen. So now the the solution to decarbonizing those industries just means getting the hydrogen from a green source, not the blue or gray hydrogen made from uh, natural gas. So if it comes from a green source, you can make massive amounts of decarbonizing a reality when it comes to making steel and cement. Hmm, interesting. Okay, now let's get back to Wind So High, your company, and your vision of, of how you could bring these elements of the energy industry together. Okay, now, first, uh, people need to understand uh, how you calculate the cost of hydrogen, and this is really important for people to understand. In making green hydrogen, 80% of the cost of the hydrogen is the result of the price of the electricity used to power the electrolyzers. So... Um, in the case of Kansas, and, and the thing that I've been promoting for 20 years, because few people really understand. And by the way, the other 20% of the cost is mainly the capital expense for the electrolyzers. Okay. And those costs are going to plummet all the major electrolyzer manufacturers in the world. NEL in Norway, Siemens in Germany, Cummins in North America, Mitsubishi, some others. Um, they've all committed to making gigantic increases in the amounts of electrolyzers that are available, that's going to cause the prices for electrolyzers to plummet. And the, the three leading uh, electrolyzer manufacturers are saying now, as they're all in the process right now in building these giant electrolyzer manufacturing facilities, that within the next year or two, the price of the electrolyzers is going to decrease by 80%. So, and even without that decrease, right now, if you use my method for making hydrogen and getting back to that formula, if 80% of the price of the hydrogen is a result of the price of the electrolyzer or price of the electri uh, electricity used to power the electrolyzer. If you're using wind power at night, the price of 
wind power in Kansas, the power purchase agreement price, the PPA price for wind power in Kansas is about one and a half cents per kilowatt hour. It stands to reason that that's what the electricity from wind power is selling for during the day. Okay. It stands to reason, and I'll explain how we get to almost nothing for that cost of wind power at night, is going to be far less than one and a half cents per kilowatt hour. In fact, in Kansas, in this part of the country, if you look at the wind corridor, those are the states of North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, a little bit of New Mexico and, and Colorado. The, um, there is a gigantic amount of wind power that's already being used. Mm -hmm. There's so much wind power that we have a problem called curtailment at night. The wind projects have to be shut down because there is more wind power available than there is a demand for its use. So oftentimes at night, the price of wind power at night goes into the negative pricing range. We're actually below the cost of nothing for wind power at night. And the Department of Energy has some charts where they load the input costs on the x-axis and the y-axis to show how you arrive at the price of hydrogen. As soon as you go below three cents per kilowatt hour, the price of hydrogen is far less than the cost of natural gas, which is the primary source for hydrogen these days. So, if you look at the potential in the wind corridor states and you have the other necessary uh, assets, natural assets for making and storing massive amounts of hydrogen. We can make that hydrogen right now. If we installed the electrolyzers today, hooked them up to uh, wind power in Kansas, we could already beat the goal set by the Biden administration's Department of Energy and their hydrogen earth shot for uh, $1 per kilogram uh, in one decade. We're already below that cost. So first of all, we're going to make use of nighttime wind power, inexpensive, it, to yeah. to drive the this process of, of separating out hydrogen. Yeah. Okay. So so that sounds intriguing. Um, you know, more efficient use of that infra wind infrastructure. All right. So now you have your hydrogen. You've you you've electrolyzed it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so. What's the next piece of the puzzle there? Okay. Uh, you need to be able to store it cost-effectively, and, and you need to pressurize it. The, it's so light, you need to use a lot of pressure. For example, um, we're probably going to have to get to about 10,000 PSI, which is a lot of pressure, to be able to uh, reduce the... If you're talking about above ground storage and cylinders, you're going to need to get between 5,000 and 10,000 PSI to store the hydrogen effectively so you're not taking up gigantic acreage of you know, these, these uh, cylinders stacked to, to store the hydrogen under mm -hmm. pressure. So the thing that makes most sense for massive amounts of hydrogen is to look at the salt formations in Kansas, which we have in abundance. And then it's very simple. And they've been doing this down in the Gulf Coast since 1990. They've been storing hydrogen effectively, cost-effectively and safely in these salt formations down there. They have a uh, about a, uh, what is it, a 
500-mile pipeline that runs from Louisiana into uh, Houston. Mm-hmm. And they store, they make gigantic amounts of hydrogen they use mainly in, in the oil refining process and to make diesel. Um, and then they um, store it in these salt caverns. It works like a charm. They, and they use PVC pipe. They don't use metal pipe for transporting that hydrogen from point A to point B. And they've been doing this for three decades, so we know it, it can be done. So in Kansas, we have these underground salt, salt formations okay. that, that are just like the ones in the and Gulf. And they're, they're tight enough that uh, they can be a, a proper substitute for some other container that would be above ground. Yeah, you can, you can create these formations. You can create caverns underground in these formations of hundreds of millions of cubic feet mm-hmm. where you can store gigantic amounts of hydrogen. Then... You just need to look at where is it going to be needed. For example, um, if you want to get it to uh, the the cement fans, uh, plants in Chanute or okay. the refineries uh, down in the, the southeast part of the state or Correct. up in the it, it would be actually very simple to just build these simple PVC pipelines mm-hmm. to make the hydrogen here and store it underground. Then when it's needed, just send it via PVC pipe to its destination where it's needed. That's one way. Now, um, for when it gets to vehicle fuel, I've always maintained that you really don't need this massive infrastructure. You don't need to build these gigantic pipeline systems to move massive amounts of, of hydrogen for, to, for the vehicles because you can just, uh, if you imagine every place where there is a gas station now, all you do is build, set up your electrolyzers there. Oh. You you build your storage container underground, and you just make the hydrogen on site and store it there. It makes a lot more sense. So that can be done very inexpensively. I predict, and I've been really accurate. I mean, everything that I predicted that would happen in the energy industry 20 years ago has come about. Okay. I, I've had a pretty accurate record for my predictions on where things are going. Here. <laughs> I, I predict that as hydrogen evolves uh, and through economies of scale, the, the prices of electrolyzers continue to go down, 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 down. The access uh, to hydrogen uh, becomes more you know, universal that if we're going to get to the point eventually for each individual household will be able to make their own hydrogen huh. electrolyzers are going to become so cheap so, all you need is electricity and water and you can make your own vehicle so you've fuel. talked about electrolyzers what do they look like do they look like a, a you know a furnace that size that you would have in your house i mean how big are they what do they look like they, they come in all different sizes right now depending on the the usage the ones that I'm talking about for the projects I'm involved in are really large. They have a, a footprint of about, let's say, um, 50 feet long by about 15 feet tall. Hmm. And that's, that's, for example, a two megawatt electrolyzer. And so, and, and they're, what they're doing right now as, as uh, uh, science is involved in, um, I'm very connected to the top scientists doing research on electrolyzers. And there are different types of electrolyzers. The most common one is an alkaline electrolyzer. Then you have proton exchange membrane electrolyzers. 
and there are a couple of new kids on the block. One is called solid oxide. The other is anion exchange membrane. There's a ton of money going into research and what they're doing is increasing the efficiency and that's going to reduce the size of the electrolyzer the too. So sure. everything is moving in the direction of uh, making it possible to have electrolyzers uh, installed all over the place hmm. for wherever hydrogen is needed. And I'm, I'm very serious about just replacing wherever gas stations are now, put an electrolyzer, build underground storage. You can make your hydrogen on site. You don't need pipelines, all this other stuff. You just make it there. It's real cheap. You make it at night, you use power at night. So what, before we get to the Department of Energy and possibly research in Kansas on this, what is the timeline we're talking about here to get this done on a more industrial scale and then and then as we progress down this this line get it so that i might be able to go to a gas station and get my hydrogen or have my own unit in my house like what kind of timeline the department of energy has set aside eight billion dollars to fund the hydrogen earth shot and their goal is they want to create these hydrogen hubs okay and uh, the the governor of Kansas has given the green light. She's working with the team. I'm talking to the team members to turn Kansas into a hydrogen hub, possibly joining forces with uh, a couple of other states, possibly. Um, the hydrogen hubs that have been announced around the, the country, uh, one involves uh, Oklahoma, Texas, and Louisiana. There's another one that involves New Mexico, Colorado, and Utah. So the, 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 the pattern here has been for about three states to join forces to create a hydrogen hub. Now, the hydrogen hubs that have been announced so far have been organized by the natural gas industry. The, the natural gas industry is fighting for their life because they understand that they really can't compete on a price basis with hydrogen going forward. So they're going to try and create hydrogen hubs that will prolong the use of, natu the use of natural gas by building these uh, pipelines over the next 10 years, to answer your question. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the expected timeline for developing the infrastructure needed to increase uh, hydrogen usage. My uh, problem with this hydrogen hub announcement is that um, they're saying, okay, go ahead and use blue hydrogen. Blue hydrogen uh, is made from natural gas, but they use carbon capture and sequestration. They use technologies to capture the carbon that is released through the steam methane reforming method okay. to, to derive uh, hydrogen from natural gas. My problem is those carbon capture technologies are failures and they're really not going to solve the problem of decarbonizing that we hope to achieve with the hydrogen because it uses natural gas because it uses natural gas when, when and the carbon capture doesn't work i always thought correct this i thought sequestration was really like uh putting something into the salt mines of you know the salt like sequestering carbon in some manner underground yeah first you have to, to so capture how is that it. different from what you want to do 
Well, why no, is that bad technology? Well, the, the, the reason it's bad is because in the, uh, let's just look at uh, blue hydrogen and what mm-hmm. they're proposing and where it fails. You start with natural gas and the chemical formula for natural gas is CH4, carbon and, and four, uh, four hydrogen molecules. Then you use extreme heat to separate that carbon from the hydrogen. You capture the hydrogen for its use. That's fine. But now you're left with this massive amount of carbon in this process. And what do you do with it? So uh, first you start with natural gas. Where is natural gas coming from now? It's mainly coming from uh, from fracturing, uh, hydraulic fracturing, which is is just a mess. There are massive amounts of uh, carbon and methane that are leaking already in this in the process of extracting the natural gas. Then that natural gas has to be processed. There are massive amounts of carbon leaks and methane leaks that happen when it's processed. Then it has to be stored. There are massive amounts of leaks when uh, natural gas is stored. Then it has to be distributed via pipeline. There are massive leaks of methane and carbon when it's distributed via pipeline. So before you even get to the point of the steam methane reforming method, you've got massive amounts of leakage because you're dealing with natural gas derived from hydraulic fracturing, which is just a disaster. Then, you once you capture, once you're using steam methane reforming to get the hydrogen from natural gas, then you have to capture that uh, carbon. You have to uh, process it and then transport it to where it can be stored in these, in, in Kansas, for example, there is a geologic formation called the Arbuckle, about, it's tens of miles deep, it's way, way down there. Mm-hmm. But it can hold billions and billions of cubic feet of carbon, if that's what you want to do, but... It's just why? Why go through this? So we would ditch the the carbon down there way as down a byproduct. Yeah. So the, the distinction is is that if the natural gas industry pursues this from their perspective, that's uh, environmentally unfriendly approach. That if you use these electrolysis method, it's cleaner. Particularly if yeah. you use wind or solar power. Yeah. There's to, zero to, carbon to to. to Push the process, and and it's cheaper. Think about this in in this, and I'll use this example: carbon capture and sequestration that's needed to carb to capture the carbon from when you're trying to make the the uh, hydrogen. That's a hugely expensive process, and it's really inefficient. And I'll use this one example uh, to explain why it's so dangerous and why it adds to the cost. There was a uh, an attempt funded by the largest oil and gas companies in the world for this project in Australia. And this is very recent. They've just discovered what a failure it is this year called the Gorgos Project. It, they spent, the oil and gas companies spent $3 billion to uh, capture uh, the carbon that uh, was made when they're making liquefied natural gas. And so there's, there's a lot of leakage in that process. And they were going to use carbon capture and sequestration in that process. The oil and gas companies promised that they would capture 95% of the carbon when they sequester it. But independent analysts came along to check 
if they were successful at achieving that 95% capture rate, and they weren't. Mm-hmm. And they're at best, is 50%. And here's the problem. When you're dealing with methane, methane is 80 times more effective at trapping heat than carbon dioxide. Just small amounts of methane in the atmosphere are far, far more dangerous and damaging than carbon dioxide. So all these efforts at working with natural gas, which is methane, uh, to make hydrogen or to, uh, to use carbon capture are just fraught with disaster. They're, they're going to destroy our future quite literally if we don't stop them from succeeding at this, this method for getting hydrogen. Just to be clear, the, the alternative that you're suggesting, wouldn't, methane would not be a byproduct. There's no, there's no carbon involved. There's none. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about the possibility of, uh, of one of these hubs and explain what a hub would be. Is this the infrastructure to go about this process or is it considered like a research pilot project hub? What do you mean by a hub? No, the, the hub uh, team, like the governor has a team of people working to, to put together a proposal to DOE. And that proposal will have to contain uh, the elements for hydrogen use. Okay, so you're, you're going to get a hydrogen hub. What are the uses for hydrogen that you propose? Okay. Is it going to be for vehicles? Is it going to be to make energy with technologies like mine? Are you going to, uh, by the way, at, at some point I need to explain how you use hydrogen hydrogen to make electricity and we, we, we people need to understand that too but this hub proposal we're going to have to explain the uses for the the, the hydrogen what types of infrastructure uh, they're looking at building um, uh, and then they have other goals uh, what is this going to do for employment what is it going to do for costs um, uh, how is this going to affect the oil and gas industry the Department of Energy is trying to be kind to the oil and gas industry they're they're saying wherever there's an opportunity to provide new jobs for people in the oil and gas industry who are displaced by these new technologies, you have to have uh, elements of that into these hydrogen hub proposals. So it's this is a, a lengthy proposal because, for example, in, in Kansas, uh, we would expect to get $500 million to a $1 billion for a hydrogen hub here to get this, uh, this location started as a hydrogen hub, and we should, because Kansas has the best natural assets to make it work of just about any location in the country. The wind and storage. Yep. And and the you say the money, it's it, we're talking about federal funding here, yes. the Department of Energy. Yes. What would be some, how long might it be before you get a sense of whether or not Kansas will receive such money? About a year. Okay. So we need to move. There's got to be a lot of action right now. And the, and the thing is, and the thing I've tried to make clear to the governor uh, through people, I know people on her team, so I'm uh-huh. not talking to the governor. I'm talking to the people <laughs> on her That's team. Right, yeah. um, if you look at the potential for hydrogen in Kansas, you're talking about an easy 20 to $30 billion in development just through the wind projects that are needed to create the hydrogen for so energy and for fuel. We'll need more wind farms. Oh, God. are you we're, This is going to create... The Western Kansas is going to reap this like a bonanza they have never seen. There is no technology in the world that offers the economic potential for Kansas that green hydrogen does. And it's staggering what's involved here. Is, could a hiccup be that people, uh, folks who live out there, are sick of wind farms? Uh, 
I know because I'm, I'm developing wind farms out there. You go out into western Kansas, most of the people out there are dying to get this type of project built. There's a, oh, there's okay. a small... So they're, they're welcoming. To... Oh, they are. They want it okay. because there's nothing that's going to do more in these small communities mm-hmm. to, to bring uh, economic vitality into these small areas. Are you kidding me? There's nothing. It's okay. really going to revitalize western Kansas. What, what do you think is the common... Uh, level of information out there in the general public about about this technology, hydrogen and so forth? Uh, about one-tenth of one percent of the people understand its potential. Yeah, I think I'm in the majority there. I'm learning as we go here. Yeah, yeah. So you wanted, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about how we use hydrogen to make electricity. Yeah. There are, uh, this is what got me uh, going on uh, hydrogen initially anyway. I was working on a huge uh, green hydrogen project in starting in 2005. And uh, there's a gigantic combination uh, refinery and fertilizer plant down in the southeast corner of Kansas. It was called Coffeyville Resources. It's owned by Goldman Sachs. Uh, I knew the guy who was the, the general manager, the engineer who was the general manager of that facility. We used to play football together in Lawrence. Okay. And I went to him with a proposal. I said, okay, right now they, they get their hydrogen from a dirty, filthy byproduct in the refining process called uh, petroleum coke. And I went to him. I said, you're going to get hammered. There's so much dirty, filthy emissions from this. EPA is going to come down on you eventually. I want to just propose to you providing you with 8 million standard cubic feet of hydrogen a day that I will make using wind power and and electrolysis. And I said, our price, uh, even at that time, I said, I can make this at a price that's going to be competitive with what you uh, put on your books as the price for the hydrogen that you derive from your petroleum coke. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I explained, I talked to them for months, and then they said, by God, we're going to do this. So we developed a memorandum of understanding. I went, put in enormous sums of money in developing this uh, uh, project. And in the, uh, in the course of developing it, I was going, okay, now where am I going to store all of this huge amount of hydrogen? Uh, and I looked at above ground, and I was going, holy crap, this isn't going to work. I had got to come up with something. So that's when I started looking at uh, using uh, natural geologic formations. I went to a guy. He's one of the smartest guys I know. Um, his name is Ray Dean. He's a professor emeritus of engineering at University of Kansas. His wife, Sarah, has been on energy committees for governors in, for the last decades in Kansas. They're very, very smart people. And I went to him, and he's the one who said he was one of those select group of elite engineers in the 80s uh, involved in building the one and only compressed air energy storage plant in uh, the United States. It's located in Alabama. And he's the one who said, well, yeah, you need to look at natural geologic formations. By the way, uh, have you heard of compressed air energy storage? And I was kind of like, huh? And uh, he said, look into it. You're going to find that there's great potential in this technology. So I looked at it, studied it. I, I was just kind of like, it's crazy that this hasn't been developed more. Because if you're using wind power at night for the compressors, instead down there in Alabama, they just use coal power and whatever's available just to power it. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a little more expensive. But the same cost event benefits 
that uh, you get in making hydrogen from low-cost wind power at night apply to compress your energy storage, where in this technology, you use wind power at night to power these giant compressors. You make massive amounts of air. These are large projects. The ones I'm talking about for Kansas are five, 600 megawatts. You inject that air from these compressors into natural geologic formations. Then when you want to make electricity, you release some of that air. It's under pressure. It blows through uh, a modified combustion turbine. Just think of the blades of a jet engine fan. It just spins it to make electricity. Mm -hmm. It's actually a very simple technology. But there are some things that I'm doing that haven't been done before. I had to make the, the, the process completely green. So... Um, I wanted it down in Alabama. They use natural gas combustion to he reheat the air uh, before it, as it's withdrawn. Uh, and I had to develop a way of hydrogen combustion. And I've been working with Siemens Corporation for the last nine years to do that. I don't want to dwell too much on the particulars. The point is you can make electricity using these massive amounts of air stored underground. You reheat it with hydrogen combustion and you make electricity that is much less expensive than natural gas power or coal power. And that's the key here. It isn't just an environmental win. My system isn't just completely green. It's cheaper than any other baseload source of power technology in existence in the world today. And I took this proposal to the Department of Energy and they said, Speece is onto something. We gotta support this guy. So they had me do a proposal to their loan program office for $1.2 billion for the first project out in Northwest Kansas. Um, uh, they said, okay, this is good, but you need to finish this geologic work first. So I've got another proposal into them to complete the geologic work because not only does my system include the first ever hydrogen combustion chamber, but uh, we're going to be storing the air in non-salt formations, which hasn't been done, but we know will work. And the top geophysicists and geologists in the world agree with me. So here you're using massive amounts of hydrogen as a component in making electricity that's completely green and is cheaper than any fossil fuel. So we can make we can put these systems all over the place and eliminate the need for natural gas and coal power. Do, and you, it, do you have any friends in the oil and gas industry? Not one. <laughs> not a one. And then there's uh, something else that you, you, you do with hydrogen to make power, too. Um, a handful of companies, primarily Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, GE, and Siemens, maybe one or two others, Alstom, maybe in Europe... Um, are looking at simply replacing natural gas with hydrogen in a power plant just to use pure hydrogen for generating power. Now, you can do that. It's more expensive than what I'm talking about, and that's my advantage. But it has advantages, too, in that with my system... Um, there's the possibility what happens. I'm going to provide five days of storage, like compared to a battery where you get about four hours. My technology is going to solve the problem of intermittency. But 
it's going to make sense just in case of emergencies to be able to generate electricity from pure hydrogen in a hydrogen power plant that's using hydrogen in the same way they use natural gas today. So that's there are a couple of ways to make electricity using hydrogen. Compressed energy storage is the least expensive and most efficient, but you can just replace natural gas with hydrogen in a specially designed system. It's some of these companies claim that they won't be quite ready for that system until about 2030, 2028, 2030. So it's a, there's a, a time lapse there where my, my stuff is ready to go. We can do that right away. Okay, before we close out here, how about um, you, you take a shot at summarizing what you just spent 30 minutes talking about in 30 seconds. Like if you were standing in line in a grocery store and you needed to explain this, what would you say? The potential for uh, green hydrogen for vehicle fuel and generating electricity is our greatest economic and environmental hope because it's going to be cheaper than all fossil fuels when it's made correctly and is going to do more to stop climate change than any other, any other uh, source, technological source in the world. And this is going to create millions of jobs in this country, high paying jobs. So it's going to lower costs, create millions of jobs. There's nothing not to like about it. Hmm. All right. We're going to leave it there. I want to thank Joe Spies, Chief Executive Officer of Wind So High, an Overland Park company and a forward-thinking guy. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Good talking to you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you.